Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Begin reading in verse 4 in just a moment, just as a, a quick continuation of the letter that Paul is writing to the church. It's important for us to remember the, uh, the first thoughts where Paul talks about our faith pointing backward and our hope pointing forward. And I think that it's important for us to recognize that faith must be built upon our remembrances. That's what faith is. Faith is, is really tied to what we can remember about God's faithfulness. You know, the things that, that we have experienced personally from him. And so based upon his track record in our life will determine what kind of hope we have going forward. So he talks about this work of faith, this, this work that transforms the way we think, transforms the way we feel, transforms the way we act. And because of God's faithfulness to us and us remembering that, we can have an enduring hope. And while we are waiting on that enduring hope, not wishful thinking, not, not like hoping something is going to come to pass, but based upon our experiences, a surety of God's future promises as well, that everything he has said he is going to do, he will do. And we have every reason to believe that. And while we wait, here's how you know that you have experienced the work of faith and the enduring hope is in the middle you have this labor of love. And that's for the day. This unconditional love that we have for one another. This, this willingness to give. This willingness to, to join emotionally. This is the word that Paul uses here not just a spiritual kind of love like agape. This word is, is much looser than that. So what Paul is saying, this labor of intimate love with people, this, this labor of love that's work, and that word labor means to, uh, an intense digging in and, and being sacrificial and doing the work because it needs to be done, not because you feel like it. And sometimes, as a Christian, because of what God has done in our life and the hope that we have of what he's going to do in our life, we are left with one responsibility, and that is to love wherever, whoever, however we can. But here's the most important thing about loving in this way in Christ is that true love produces Jesus. All right, I want you to understand. I know that seems like, well, of course, but I want you to listen to that. Here's how you know if you're loving this way. Your love is producing Jesus through you and producing Jesus in the life in other people that you're loving. It's not just a simple do good things and be generous and be kind. It's much deeper than that. Because of your faith and because of your hope, you are producing Jesus wherever you go. Because love produces Jesus. Because Jesus produces love. And it makes sense in this circular thinking because Jesus says that he is love. Paul says he is love. John says he is love. Not just holds or gives. He is. And so when you're loving, I want to just drive that home. When you are loving, you should reveal and experience Jesus. So remember, Paul left this church suddenly when 
there was some persecution taking place, some pressure. Uh, and this church obviously had questioned his loyalty uh, to them and, and perhaps even ultimately the loyalty of Jesus. And they were questioning their faith. They were questioning their doctrine and, and what they believe about their hope. And uh, if, the, if this work of faith had been enough to transform them. And so one of the reasons that Paul is writing back to them is to assure them. That's why the first couple of chapters are really, really heavy on this. He is assuring them of his appreciation and his love for them. They have done incredibly well, but they, they do still question some things. And so while Paul is the writer of this letter, we must not forget that the word of God is inspired by God himself. These are the words of the Spirit to the church, not just of Paul. And I think from time to time, we all kind of wonder if we truly believe. And while we may believe, we wonder if we believe enough. And we say we believe, but sometimes we don't see the results of that belief. And so we start questioning the genuineness of our faith. And we belong to a church, but do we belong to the family of God? And so in our text this morning, Paul is going to highlight some, some real telltale signs so that you can know if your faith is genuine and know if your hope will endure. And a lot of that is depending upon how well you are loving in, in the moment. These are benchmark things that can help us address the doubts and the discouragements and the frustrations in our own minds and I believe can also spur us on in our discipleship and our discipleship of each other. Now few people, as we get started here, few people are as close to God as they could be or should be. And as believers, I think it's very important for us to know that as believers, Believing is simply the starting place, okay? I really want us to understand that in a, in a, in a culture, in a, in a world where we're starting to see uh, dominion of uh, opportunities for real discipleship. Nobody's really talking about Christ-likeness. Churches have, and I don't want to get, I don't want to become an old fogey, so that's not, I'm not, that's not my intention, but, but where, you know, you go to church so that you can be better. You go to church for self-help. You go to church to feel good. You go to church for motivation. That's not the point of our salvation. The point of our salvation is not believing, it's following Jesus Christ, not believing in him. That's just, you can't follow him if you haven't believed in him, but believing is just a foundation. Don't get, don't settle in with just a faith that believes. We need a faith that follows because a faith that follows matures and a faith that matures multiplies. It doesn't just receive, it gives. It flows out of our life. Now listen, you can't Believing faith doesn't necessarily multiply, but mature faith does. And so don't get satisfied with just learning more, hearing more, you know, uh, uh, experiencing, you know, uh, maybe emotional highs uh, from a church service. Don't, don't be settled with just hearing fresh little tidbits that you've never heard before. Believing is not where the power is. Maturing is where the power is. That's where multiplication takes place. And ultimately, that's what we're called to, is to multiply. 
So true maturity demands multiplication. And so many Christians believe that they are mature, but I'm here to tell you, mature Christians multiply. This is what Jesus says to us, is that we're called to make disciples. We are to Come and see him. We are to follow him. We are to follow him and make fishers of men. But we are to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit as Christians. So true maturity demands multiplication. And it requires a maximum effort. But it cannot and will not happen unless God's spirit is working in and supernaturally charging us. Not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week. This happens through a transformational work of faith. But we are not, it just doesn't work as passive bystanders. bystanders. This is not something that happens upon us. This is something that happens through us as we partner with him. Now, I'm getting ready to read the text, but I think it's really important for us to understand that maturing in our faith, maturity does not happen over time. It happens over time with Jesus, obeying him. Not, not you know, you're, you're a Christian for 30 years, you're believing for 30 years does not necessarily produce maturity, as most of us probably have believed. What does produce maturity is time with Jesus, obeying the commands of scripture. So what we learn is is we must give ourselves sacrificially to the spirit every moment of every day, living lives of surrender to him. And it's intentional. It must be intentional. It does not happen naturally. And this is what it means to be like Jesus, not just to believe in Jesus. And hey, it's not popular to live like Jesus. It's not possible to be like him. That's why it's so powerful to be like him. So I don't want a show of hands, but I want us to begin with this question. How many of us have grown satisfied believing in Jesus, but have grown cold to becoming like Jesus? We can convince ourselves of this so easily that we've done enough and all we want to do is get to heaven anyway, but that's not what we're called to be or to do. Let's look at verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God. I love that. That he's kind of pretty heavy on this. Hey, you're all you're awesome. I love you. God loves you. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now, some translations use the word elected or called. It's, uh, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, many times people want to make passages like this read that God chooses some and he doesn't choose others. But that is not what this word means at all. It means that God does choose us all, but we must partner with his choosing our faith must agree with his grace. Think of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace we have been saved through faith. God gives us his grace. We respond to that grace through faith. And when faith and grace come together, that is salvation. But God chose us. God chose all of us. But sometimes we wonder, has God 
approved? Has God qualified? Am I truly one of his? I know God wants me, but have I done enough to deserve it? And the answer is no, you can't deserve it. If you deserve it, it's not grace, it's works. But we're not saved by works lest we would become arrogant. And so God's grace is what saves us. That is his choosing. But how do we know if we have expressed faith enough? There are definite proofs that a person is saved or not. Jesus calls it proof of fruit. Paul calls it fruit. There are proofs that a person is genuinely right with God. It cannot be reduced. Salvation is not reduced into believing, but following Jesus. Remember James chapter 2, verse 19, I believe it says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Salvation is not found in believing. Salvation is found in following. That's how you know that you're believing, is you're following. Remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, be it all more diligent to confirm your calling and election. You hear that? It's on us to confirm our calling and election, not something that God does. God does the calling and the electing. But we must make sure that we have said yes. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So God offers grace because he chose us. But there are obviously responsibilities that we are to diligently confirm certain qualities on our part in order to receive that grace. So Paul begins by saying this in verse 4. We know that your conversion is real. That's what he says. So let's not get mixed up into what else he, he could be saying. This is what Paul was saying. There are evidences that what you proclaim with your mouth has taken place in your spirit. We know that you are truly saved. We know that you are truly set apart. We know that you are genuine believers. And then Paul gives us a pretty quick list of how he knows that they are saved, that they are eternal. So look at verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word. You say, repeat after me, not only in word. Good, we, we'll do better on this next one. But also in power. You say power. And in the Holy Spirit. You say in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction. You say full conviction. Listen, these are so important words because what Paul says is that the transformation didn't take place because you heard a word, because you heard a message. The gospel didn't come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So Paul says this is the first piece of evidence that these people are genuine believers is the way that they responded and respond to the Word of God, not just to a sermon, but to the Word itself. So many people hear the Word of God proclaimed. One is under the Spirit's power. The other one falls asleep. And everybody just punched your buddy there. So when the Holy Spirit, listen, when you come under the word, and I don't mean in a Sunday morning, if all you're getting is on Sunday morning, you are starving to death. 
But if you were, if every time that you come near the word of God and the Holy Spirit is sought for his guidance and knowing how to follow after him, he takes the word and applies it directly to the heart of the child of God. It creates conviction. And I don't mean just conviction like, oh, I feel bad when I do bad things. Conviction, I mean like a, a solid rock to stand on, not wishy-washy. I'm talking about response and obedience. This is not the work of the mind. This is the work of the Spirit. And it is the Word of God that produces it. Everybody can feel something when you hear the Word of God uh, preached because it's the Word of God. There's supernatural power just in saying the words. But there is something long-lasting about the Holy Spirit's ability to drive that into the heart well beyond the ears. creates a, a response and obedience. Coming come to the word of God and not saying, what should I learn, but what should I do? This is the difference between believing truths and living truths. It creates conviction, not just information. Paul said that the gospel came to them with power. It made an impact what they, when they heard the word of God, their hearts received it, not just their ears. And this is where the power of God comes. We must always be coming to the word, expecting the spirit to bring full power and full conviction. The gospel itself gives us awareness. It gives us understanding. It gives us empowerment. And it gives us direction. The ESV, the translation that I use, says full conviction. But an accurate translation would be much confidence or many assurances is actually a better translation. The impact is the same. It means to have clear direction based upon you know, the daily decisions that we make. They weren't passive bystanders. The word created active faith in them. And it's demonstrated that they're getting it by the way they begin to live their life. They didn't just come to church. They didn't just listen to a sermon. But the Holy Spirit drove it home and it transformed them, their culture. The author of the letter to the Hebrews says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, when we allow God to speak to us through his word, we get Jesus. He is the word. When we get, truly get the word, we see Jesus more clearly. When we see Jesus more clearly, we can't, we can't see Jesus more clearly without reflecting Jesus more clearly. When the word of God is at work, it seems that, that the word is speaking directly to us. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe heard somebody teach or open up the word and think, that is, man, that is so, it's like I'm the only one listening to this. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit is teaching me directly. That's the Spirit at work in the word of God. You ever had, you ever had me, that's what I was going to say, you ever had me tell you about my family history? <clears throat> if you haven't, you're missing a real, real blessing. <laughs> It's, it's great. Um, 
But I wonder if I, if I give you my family history, I can trace my family history in Scotland back into the 400s. It's rich, and I would like to tell you about it. <clears throat> but I wonder how much more differently you would listen to me if I were to tell you mid-fall how to open a parachute. I wonder which one you would listen to more desperately. If I knew how to defuse a bomb or to tell you about my family. Be a difference, wouldn't it? Desperation drives a difference. And when we recognize the desperation that our souls have, I just think we would listen to the word a little more clearly. We wouldn't get sleepy. We wouldn't come to worship tired. We'd give God our very best effort. And listen, if we come to worship tired when we're around people, I can promise you you're coming to the word tired every day in your life, if at all. Listen, this thing needs to be elevated This is the word of God. This is life-giving. If we neglect it in our daily life, I'm not sure there's much that can be done with hard hearts on a Sunday. Paul said, no, they they were lapping it up. That's how we know that your faith is genuine because I can see what you're doing with the word of God. When it came, your hearts were ready for the spirit. Your hearts were ready for the power. You said yes before you knew what the ask was. And it came in many assurances, full conviction. And I think that's important because when we begin to wrestle with, have I believed enough? Do I believe enough? Am I following enough? What, how much is enough? Here's how you can know. Receive the word of God. That's how you'll know. The word of God will confirm the intensity of your faith. Now, I just want somebody else to tell me. What do you think? You think I'm a Christian? I mean, how, what do you think? No, no, no. The word of God is the one that confirms. You can fake everybody else out. The word of God, the spirit in you, that's what confirms the faith. So, do you turn to the word of God for daily guidance? Do you expect God to speak every time you open up the word? Does the word of God lead you to change things in your life? Does it have the authority? Does the word of God have authority over your values, your decisions, your behavior? This is how you begin to know. So let me just share with you quickly and we'll talk about it again in a few minutes. But I don't want to be too specific here. But do you come to the house of God and you hear something that you're like, oh, that that I've not heard that before. I'm going to do better about that. I'm going to do better about that. And it lasts about an hour. And if you look at the track record over the course of your week, it's like, well, what did we, what did we even learn Sunday at church? I don't even know. What are we even reading at, at church? It's real easy to forget. You see, you hear the word of God, and it's like, man, I know what I need to do. And it's like, but I'm not going to do it. See, that's not having full conviction. That's not receiving it with power. That's hearing it with your ears and knowing what to do, but it wears off pretty quick. You ever notice that you just go in circles in your faith? Highs and lows, like a roller coaster, ups and downs, not really maturing. How do I know if I'm maturing? I'm multiplying. Yeah, but we we don't have very many multipliers. We have a whole lot of Christians on the hamster wheel just running, 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 just getting tired. We don't have the assurance. We don't have the, the hope. We don't have the, the building. We don't have the guarantees. We don't have the, the excitement. Because we're not receiving the word of God with needing to know what we're going to do. What am I going to do with that? 
So we settle for so much less. Rather than full conviction, we settle for partial conviction, and that just lasts through lunch. It's the kind we feel for a moment or an hour, maybe even a couple hours, but it's the kind that gets so comfortable in our intentions. Listen, as long as we can convince ourselves that we have good intentions, we will always push full conviction off till tomorrow. Because we always know we have more time. I'll grow deeper tomorrow. I've got this right in front of me today and I really want to do it. So I'm going to push off all these things that I know I should be doing. I'm going to wait till tomorrow or another time of my life or another place or whatever the case may be. This is the kind of faith and change that most of us just settle for. We feel better about ourselves in a moment. It's kind of like a little, you know, little steroid shot or something. We feel better in the moment. But then we get distracted, we get busy, we get confronted, we get pressured, we get lazy, and we go back to our former convictions. But this is not the way that God calls us to grow. It will never produce fruit because it lacks the Spirit itself. It's a faith that makes mental decisions, not spiritual decisions. We've made the decision with our mind, but we've not made it with our heart. The heart remains unchanged. Verse 5, second part of verse 5. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Boy, wouldn't that be great to be able to say that when people are imitating me, that they look more like Jesus? I mean, that's what Paul says. Wow, that's really arrogant of Paul. It's not arrogant of Paul. Paul's just being obedient. Paul's just doing what Jesus told him to do. Paul has the same benefits of being empowered by the Holy Spirit as, as anyone else. So what Paul is doing is the work of Jesus. Imitate me and you'll look like Jesus. I wonder if that's something that we could say to our neighbors and our friends. Say, if you want to be more like Jesus, just watch how I live. Just do what I do and you'll be more like Jesus. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The second evidence here is that these people had a genuine faith based upon the the change that had come into their lives. They looked less like Romans. They They looked less like people from Thessalonica, and they looked more like the apostles. They looked more like Jesus. You see, obedience to the conviction of the word of God had brought about convictions that had resulted in true life change. They were striving to follow the example of the apostles and of Jesus. In the case of the Thessalonians, there were several examples of this. Look, they welcomed the message of the gospel in spite of their suffering that their belief had caused. Last week, I shared with you that when Paul and Silas and little Timothy, I don't know how old he was, but he wasn't very old. He was, a, he was probably a man, but a teenager maybe. But they were driven out of town by the opponents of the gospel. They'd become persecuted. And these men left, but the rest of the church was left behind. And they were looking as Paul and Silas and Timothy were leaving and they were thinking to themselves, man, we just received the gospel. It's changed our lives, but now what do we do? We need Paul and we need Silas and we need Timothy. No, what you need is the word of God. That's what you need. And so that's what they, they are continuing to receive. And, you know, growing up, sometimes you receive. Anybody ever receive a whooping? Anybody ever receive a whooping? I need some help. Yeah, okay. 
Some of you are pretty proud of that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so sometimes you receive things and you don't want to. That's not what this word means. This word means to reach out and take hold of. Somebody offered it and you reached out and, and did your part to take hold of it. So what they're doing is not just receiving a whooping. This, the, the, the word isn't being forced upon them. They're receiving it even though they know it's going to cost them. Physically, emotionally, relationally. They're receiving it. So they welcome the word even in much affliction. And that's probably one of the reasons why they struggled a little bit with Paul and Silas and Timothy. They told them how important it is to bear up in this hope. But then, you know, they, they leave. And obviously the Holy Spirit was, was guiding them away. But these folks, these folks would bear up under it. They had few choices. They could leave home. They could leave like Paul and Silas and Timothy did. They could renounce their faith. Or they could endure and they could live out the power of the gospel. So in Acts chapter 17, there is a, a story. I think we talked about it last week. But beginning in verse 5, when, when Paul and Silas and Timothy had left Thessalonica, this is the founding of the church. When they left because of the persecution, these uh, very jealous Jews, the scripture says, go into a place where Paul and Silas and, and Timothy had been staying, a man named Jason, and they brought him out in the street and they said, hey, these men that have turned the world upside down, they've come here to Thessalonica. And this man put them up. And uh, kind of gave old Jason a hard time. And they said when he took some money away from him, uh, they, they kind of left him alone there. But this is the kind of, well, immediately they begin to have to endure this persecution. And it grows, grew so much that when Paul went to Berea and then beyond, these same jealous Jews out of Thessalonica had followed them from city to city to harass them. These were not nice, these were not nice guys. You can bet the pressure wasn't relief, relieved from these first-generation Christians in Thessalonica. But this church stayed under it. This church just continued to stay under the pressure. They continued to believe in spite of personal suffering and hardship. They not only continued to believe, but they received the message with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, how we respond to God, I just think about how easy it is for us to kind of set our receiving the word, distributing the word, how easy it is for us to set that over on, in the locker. How easy it is for us just to put that on the shelf and say, well, this isn't really the time for spiritual matters. This is the time for business. This is the time for relationships. This is the time for family. This is the time for whatever the situation may be. This is the time for whatever. And we just kind of set our faith over here to the side. But what these people did is they, they, it was just in everyday life, right? Everyday life. How we respond to God and obey his word in times of crisis and difficulty are often the best indicators of our true faith. How we deal with life when life is not easy is the best indicator if our faith is genuine. How we welcome the word when we're threatened, when we're fearful, even when it's inconvenient. How we welcome the word says a lot about our true faith. Listen, pressures and distractions reveal very quickly where our faith resides. In our mouths or in our hearts. And I want us to understand that from a very deep place. Where we live in difficulty 
will determine where faith lives. Only here proclaiming or here practicing. And I'm telling you, I'm trying my best. I do feel like the Lord has, has shifted us, is shifting us into a different way of exercising faith. I'm telling you, time is coming quick where if you're only right here, it will not be enough. Right here won't be enough. We've got to figure out how to get it right here. Right here is where the power will be to withstand. If your faith is right here, when pressure really comes from our government or from another people group, that's all it ever was. So you say, well, wait a minute. I thought believing was important. It is important. It is part of the ingredients of, of this, of faith. But what the, the book of what Paul said to the church at Rome was, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. You see that? It's out of the heart that comes this, this belief, and that belief then comes through the mouth. But if it's only right here, and I know folks who believe deeply in their heart, but they never act on it. They're paralyzed. And I know people who only talk about it, but they can't seem to put two good days beside each other. But salvation comes from believing here and confessing here. Following, believing. We have to be people who have faith in both places if we hope to see eternal life. Verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, that's local ministry, right? That's, that's the region where they live. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere to the uttermost, right? So that we need not say anything. What Paul says is the Lord's message is ringing out from you. That's what the, the Greek says. The phrase ring out from you means to blast forth or to sound intensely, to sound forth intensely like a, like a major megaphone. Uh, sometimes the word was used like to blare a trumpet really clear and on in tune. Their faith was being proclaimed loud and clear throughout the world. You see, Thessalonica was on a, uh, several ma major trade routes. It was right off the Aegean Sea. And so uh, there was a port nearby, and it was a port to the world. And they were also on this uh, Roman way that connected you know, the modern world of Rome all the way into China. And so they, they laid not very far from there. And so whether you were trading by ship or whether you were trading by land, Thessalonica was a hot spot. It was a major, major metropolitan city. And, and whether it was very large or not, which it was, but whether it was or not, it was very, very popular for people who didn't live there. So here's the thing. You, you stop in port at Thessalonica or you're on your trade route and you stay over because it has all the luxuries. And these Christians... In a, in a very, very Roman city with all of these temples to pagan gods scattered throughout the entire cityscape and everybody from every country hits Thessalonica and they're hearing about Jesus because this little ragtag bunch of Christians are talking about their faith everywhere they go. They've got little demonstrations down at the port and at the bus, uh, at the bus stop and down at the subway and they're sharing with the world the message of Jesus Christ. So everywhere Paul goes and he says, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And the world goes, yeah, we've already heard about him. That Thessalonica is killing it. Going through persecution. 
They didn't say, well, we need just to build our own. We need, to, we need to continue to learn. We need to continue to grow. Now, listen, this church is months old, and they're reaching the world, turning it upside down with the gospel. Not only locally, but the nations are finding out about Jesus through you. You think that the Holy Spirit is not like super intentional about where the gospel is? Yeah, you know what? We need, a, we need to build a church in Thessalonica. And if Paul stays there, they're not trying to need Paul in their life. They need the word. And the word is building them up. And the power of the Holy Spirit is building them up. Paul is not saying, here, here's how you do it. Paul's leaving. And I'm not saying that to discredit Paul at all. Obviously, he was being obedient to the Spirit because we see the evidences of what else the Spirit wanted him to do. But part of Paul's leaving was to the establishment of these people by the Holy Spirit. That's how Paul grew up. I think sometimes we, we hide behind our excuses as to why we can't change the world, why we can't reach people. Well, I don't know enough. Or what if I don't know their answers? What we need is the power of the Holy Spirit and to receive the word of God. Verse 9 and 10. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, the gospel gave power to their testimony. I don't know how to say this without maybe sounding, I don't, I don't know, maybe being misunderstood. But God used their testimony to open the door to tell his. You see, they don't start with proclaiming how good God was. You could look at these people in Thessalonica and tell that they had been changed, radically different from their culture. And obviously that provokes questions. When people see different people, you move toward and you say, how can you have peace? How can you sell all your possessions? How can you be so generous? How can you forgive? How can you bear up under persecution? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me give you his testimony. See, our testimony opens the door to be able to tell his. The testimony couldn't be discounted. You know, you could explain away scripture, you can explain away prayer, you can even explain away maybe even the, the spiritual gifts. But you can't you can't explain away transformation. You can't you can't explain away turning from idols in a in a town of idolatry. You can't explain that away. By the way, which is why it is so important for us to look different from the culture that we're in. But when Christians try their best to look just like the culture, well, we want to show the world you can be like the world. Just No, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to look like Jesus. How does Jesus feel? How does Jesus think? How does Jesus make decisions? I don't mean wearing sandals and long hair and walking the streets all day. I mean, you know, he, he did call us to be missionaries where we are. But what I am saying is we got to stop being so worldly. We're not given opportunity for a testimony. I wonder how many people are asking any of us, what makes you so different? What makes you so different? 
See, they stopped being controlled by their superstition. They stopped being controlled by demons. And instead, their lives live, were lived in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's where everything was in that enduring hope. They stopped living as if this life was all there is. And they started to live with an eye toward heaven. And that's the kind of change that should take place in our life. Everything that we're reading about the church at Thessalonica is no different. And Paul recognizes it, highlights it, brings it out, takes no credit for himself. And he just says, you guys, it's obvious that God has chosen you. It's obvious that you have received his grace. Because look, look at the evidence. You didn't just hit check marks. There's evidence. Paul says they become imitators of the missionaries and of Jesus. That word imitator is the word where we get our word mimic. We imitate, we mimic Jesus. This is why our testimony matters. And people will first mimic us. And then they will mimic Jesus. That's why our testimony matters. Our lives matter. Our lives point to his life. If your life's not pointing to his life, what are the evidences? Well, I believe. Well, so do the demons and tremble. <laughs> well, I, you know, I believe. This isn't about belief. This is about a heart decision. This is about receiving the work of faith that transforms, that points to eternal life, not in, un, encumbered by the pressures of the world, but free to have a labor of love and to produce Jesus everywhere we go. So it's a simple but important question, I think. Does your Christian faith impact the way you live your life? I know it seems like such a watered-down question. But does your faith inform your values, your priorities, and not just your intentions? Is your faith steady? I think that Scripture calls us to test the genuineness of our faith. I'm not trying to talk you out of being a Christian. I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. I am trying to get you to understand that we need to grow in Christ-likeness and mature so we can multiply. That's the point of our faith. It's the Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives to conform us to the likeness of, this, of His Son and to develop our character based upon the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You see the evidence in your life? Is there, is there evidence or is it just coming out of here from time to time? You see, your beliefs must come from Scripture, which implies that the longer that you live, the more like Jesus you should reflect and display. So, this morning, I want us to come together and just evaluate the genuineness and, and maybe at a time, there was a time in our life when it was more genuine. Maybe we've grown cold and didn't know it. But, but passages like this and reminders like this give us the opportunity to say, you know what, I, I, it's time for me to warm back up. I need to, come back, I need to come back to where I've been. Are you becoming more confident in your faith? Are you finding more direction for your walk with Christ? Are you living in the full conviction of the gospel, imitating Jesus even when it's hard? Does the gospel sound forth 
from you in your daily life? And are you cooperating in the church in order to sound forth the gospel in such a way that those that are coming in and those that are coming out of our lives can see the true difference and compare the life of Christ with the life of this world? These are the marks of a genuine believer, a genuine church, when faith can move from here to here. I ask you to pray with me. Lord, I just ask that as we continue to, to dig out what it looks like to be authentic, what it looks like to, be, to have hope, what it looks like to be able to look forward with direction. Lord, one of the reasons I, I think maybe we find ministry so ineffective at reaching lost people is we spend so much effort on ourselves and while ourselves are very important, it seems to be a byproduct that if we water, we'll be watered. That if we, that we seek to be a blessing, we'll be enriched. So, Lord, help us to take our eyes off of ourself and help us to put our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that you would continue to do that work of faith in us, keep our eyes focused on eternity so that today we're free. We're free of persecution. We're free of distractions. We're free of obstacles. We're free from fear. We're free from laziness because we're just seeking out opportunities to produce love, to produce Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would raise us up as individuals. Help us understand that the power comes from community. A community compared to a culture. And I pray that the kingdom culture would be found in this place. As we work together, as we serve each other, as we esteem each other, as we give preference to one another, as we give each other the benefit of the doubt. As we forgive and give and as we give grace and mercy to each other. As we esteem each other and value each other and as we applaud each other and encourage each other as we hold each other accountable, as we walk with each other. Lord, as we relate to one another as brothers and sisters, as a family, that maybe we'd see the culture around us scratching their head and wanting what we're sounding forth. Lord, we're thankful for what you're doing in our church in your church, here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to reach lost people, broken people, idolaters, adulterers. Help us to reach the down and out, the destitute, those who know it and those who don't. Lord, I pray that you would give us a passion for people who are without you, but satisfied. I pray that your word would, would come into us and out of us with power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you stand with me, please? This morning, I want us just to take a moment and just to evaluate the genuineness of our faith. Is your, is your, is your faith coming out of your mouth? 
Is your faith coming out of your heart? Have you experienced true transformation? Are people around you experiencing the benefits of your transformation? Are they experiencing their own holy curiosity? So this morning, I just want us to just to pray. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what those obstacles are, to reveal to us what our distractions may be. And if necessary, I'm asking this this morning, if, if you need to repent, if you need to renew, if you need to be restored, if you need to be relit, do that this morning. God wants to use you. Well, I know that God wants to use us. And I believe God uses us as He uses you. I know that God has a plan for your life. I know that God's already put ministry inside of you. I know he's already given you an awareness of who he is. I know that he's already given you a desire to say yes to him. I'm confident that he's given us a desire to take one more step in that faith toward maturity. Lord, we thank you this morning for being so good to us. Thank you for the generations that have followed you so well for 2,000 years there have been people imitating you and that faith has come to us we have said yes and I pray that we would continue to imitate what we have seen and thereby eventually imitating Jesus himself so Lord forgive us where we have failed and renew in us a right spirit We thank you for the legacy that you've allowed us to stand on. Lord, help us to blaze a trail of our own in a culture that's desperate so that our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, if you you tarry your coming, Lord, will know how to walk, how to sound forth the gospel. that you'd give us give us clear examples of transformation even to build our own faith in Jesus name we pray Amen If you need help finding or taking your next step send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc